welcome back to another episode of Houston Exercise Science. Um, you know the rest. I know it's been a while. I had a lot of things going on. I don't want to bore you guys on what was happening, but just know I'm okay. Uh, my mom was in town. I hung out with her for a little bit. Got in a car accident. I'm okay, though. It sucked. It was scary, but um, actually I wasn't hurt too much at all. Made my knee a little... Uh, it was really loud, so my hearing went out for a little bit just that day, but uh, I'm good now. So yeah, lots of crazy stuff that happened, but I haven't forgot about continuing this podcast and everything like that. So as always, thank you guys for listening. I do remember where we left off and we're going to be talking about chronic conditions today where we're going to be talking about uh, mainly arthritis, different kinds of that, and osteoporosis and what um, what goes on with those things and what kind of exercises you should be doing and everything like that, as much detail as I can get into. But anyways, um, you know, thank you guys for being patient. You know, if you're waiting for the next episode, I definitely still want to make it a little more regular and coming out every week as long as I don't get into another car accident, I hope. <laughs> so anyways, without further ado, let's get into the content. I like to jump into it as soon as I can. So we're talking about chronic conditions today. That is defined as a prolonged, uh, it's a condition that's prolonged in duration and it does not resolve spontaneously and it's rarely resolved completely. Um, and so like we're, like I said, we're going to be talking about arthritis, which we're going to talk about first. So arthritis is defined as an inflammation of a joint. And there's two common types of this, which is rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis. Can't talk today. So rheumatoid, or we're going to refer to as RA, is an autoimmune condition. That So your own immune system is attacking your joints, which is crazy. But this is a condition. It's chronic inflammatory disease. It affects the synovial lining of joints and um, other connective tissue. It is RA is a slowly progressing disease that affects 1 in 12 adult women and 1 in 20 adult men in the U.S. uh, with symptoms that cycle through periods of exasperation and then back to remission and exasperation again, you know, cycles like that. Um, So what kind of things are you going to be seeing with RA? So typically patients will present symptoms with severe joint pain and inflammation, reduced muscle mass, a decreased muscular strength and endurance, decreased mobility, um, and impaired physical activity. Um, And so pretty much RA is also associated with the increased risk of cardiovascular disease, um, which is pretty interesting how that they both have a relationship there. Um, And so the assessment of RA includes you should be going through the client or the patient's history, uh, test their range of motion and uh, strength tests, um, and make sure they have and see what kind of outcomes they have after these assessments. And they should be performed by, of course, a health professional um, and everything like that. So um, what kind of things we should be looking at is for effective exercises, regular, dynamic, and isometric exercises are effective for improving that muscular strength and cardiorespiratory function as well, um, and cardiovascular health in individuals with RA. 
Exercise can also reduce the pain, the morning joint stiffness, and fatigue. And people with RA can perform moderate intensity exercises with little or no joint damage. Um, so people with RA should be encouraged to pursue activities of daily living that require movement. Um, as uh, so Because there's benefits of, um, of constant movement. Actually, movement is your friend for something like this instead of just being stagnant and staying still and being sedentary because then you're going to be encouraging that loss of muscular strength and power and muscle mass and everything like that. So continuing to move and everything like that will help. So, um, yes, so so that's really what RA is and what kind of things. I'm going to go because there's also, we're going to be going through uh, OA osteoarthritis next and then I'm going to go back and talk about what kind of um, exercises they could be doing to help with um, this rehabilitation of this condition but let's do osteoarthritis which is OA it's uh, relatively common it's a cr chronic degenerative joint disease um, that is more prevalent with age so a OA first presents as uh, deficits in articular cartilage in synovial joints, of synovial joints, and pretty much uh, OA is thought to be the result of mechanical injury due to excessive loading or repeated uh, stressors, like low-force stressors. So the most common location for OA would be places that have that are large weight-bearing joints so we're talking hips knees uh, lumbar spine which would be the lower back and some of your fingers and and also the the joint in your thumb as well one of the other things that doesn't help when with OA is obesity so obesity is associated with OA uh, and Studies have shown that for each kilogram of increased body mass, there's a risk of OA that goes up 14% kilograms for my European folks. Uh, it's easy to infer how increased mass affects the large weight-bearing joints, right? If you think about it, you have more mass, so the hips are taking more wear and tear in, in your lower back as well. So that's all going to not help with any of that at all. Um, so that's another thing. So maintaining your BMI will minimize the effect of body mass on OAs. And so exercise training remains an important component to long-term management of obesity. Of course, that's pretty straightforward. So what kind of things are you going to be seeing with an individual with OA? Often um, people with OA will have pain, joint stiffness, decreased strength, decreased flexibility, decreased cardiovascular fitness, um, pretty similar to the other uh, rheumatoid arthritis. This is pretty much pretty similar of what kind of clinical presentation they're going to have. So what kind of thing should you be doing to assess if someone has OA? Well, it's kind of pretty much the same as RA, which is um, client history, range of motion testing, strength testing, and cardiovascular fitness. All of that stuff is going to be there. 
Um, pain can also be, because there'll be pain, um, that could be evaluated using different kind of pain questionnaires. Um, there's actually one for my Canadian folks, there's one called the Western Ontario um, uh, Index, sorry. And that's pretty cool that, that actually um, here in America will probably use that as well. There's also one called the McMaster University's Osteoarthritis Index as well. So uh, that's good. We're using everything all around the world. So anyways, um, so it's good for people with OA to start and continue exercise. Exercise improves pretty much the overall function of the person and prevents disability. It improves flexibility, muscular strength, the cardiovascular fitness, and even just the overall quality of life. Um, and also helps with decreased pain, too. So um, exercises can include land-based or aquatic-based programs. Um, and so aquatic programs provide like a, an alternative type of environment that actually may benefit clients who don't tolerate land-based exercise because of that pain or obesity. So that's another kind of programming you can do instead if that person doesn't like walking it hurts too much um, individuals should exercise at times when pain from OA is minimum or um, when pain medication is at its peak effectiveness that's another option as well um, now individuals with OA may experience discomfort during or immediately after exercise um, but that's okay that's normal but if joint pain persists or increases beyond the uh, pre-exercise pain level, um, then duration or intensity should be reduced for that exercise program. Um, now, one of the things that people may use are NSAIDs or pain reducers. Um, but people should be aware that excessive use or prolonged use of these NSAIDs can cause gastrointestinal bleeding and may reduce kidney function. So make sure they, you know, that these people aren't taking too many painkillers, you know, and, and relying heavily on that as well. Um, so things like that could, could cause that and also prescription medicine can also cause that sort of uh, GI bleeding and everything like that. Uh, so let's go, uh, let me go, oh yeah, we're going to go first before we continue. Like I said, let's talk about what kind of stuff that people with RA and OA can be doing. So when we're talking about the type of exercise, we're talking about weight-bearing weight aerobic exercises like walking, cycling, rowing, or swimming like we mentioned. For resistance training, they can do weight machines um, and or those resistance bands, elastic bands as well. Uh, for flexibility and stretch, stretching, they should do a combination of dynamic and static stretching um, and focus on all the major joints. For the aerobic exercise, how many times a day, three to five days a week is recommended and for resistance training, Two to, two to three days a week for that. And for the flexibility and stretching, it should be daily, every day. Now, for um, 
the weight bearing or the aerobic or cardio intensity, we should be doing 60 to 80% of maximum heart rate reserve. Of course, you have to have a machine for heart rate reserve um, and everything like that. Um, and for resistance training, you pretty much, in terms of intensity, you should be uh, doing pretty much resistance training um, as long as they can tolerate the pain. So you use a pain tolerance for that. Um, and so for aerobic cardio, how much, how, uh, how long per exercise, uh, start with five minutes and build to thir 30 minutes per session. And for the resistance training, if you're going to do weights and stuff, uh, two to three reps, uh, for one set, and you're going to be building that up to 10 to 12 reps for three sets. Uh, for stretching, you're going to be doing, um, 30 seconds for the static stretching, like hold that for 30 seconds and three reps of that. Um, so with, when if, with acute exasperation, um, avoid high intensity resistance exercises to minimize joint damage. All right. That makes sense. You don't want to go too crazy, especially with weight training. Um, now, so people with significant damage of those large joints, which would be assessed with uh, radiography to see how significant that joint damage is, um, they should avoid a moderate to high intensity weight bearing exercise to avoid further damage. Uh, so weight bearing, we're talking about aerobic or cardio stuff. Um, that's for rheumatoid arthritis. That's special, special consideration for RA. Now for OA, some notes I want to say is, um, avoid overstretching unstable joints, um, avoid high resistance and high impact exercise. Pain should be minimal. Uh, no strenuous exercise during acute flare-ups of OA and during periods of inflammation. So all of the things I mentioned, those are little notes I would say before you continue on with any sort of exercise programming. All right, so um, so I went, yes, so that's it for those. Um, anything else I want to say before we move on? No, no. So that's it for arthritis. Now... Let's move on to um, osteoporosis. So many people probably know what osteoporosis is, or you've heard of it, but I'm going to still talk about it um, as if you don't. <laughs> uh, so osteoporosis is known as the silent disease uh, because it's characterized as uh, by low bone density, low bone density uh, or bone mass and deterioration of the bone uh, architecture and geometry. And that increases the skeletal fragility and, of course, increased risk of fractures. Um, and it often goes undetected because early stage, early stages of this lack clear or uh, very overt symptoms. So diagnosis of osteoporosis is based on an x-ray or a DEXA scan, and that's what they're going to use to check your bone density. They give you like a bone density score that you have. They have standard deviations. This is all like, if you take statistics, you'll know about standard deviations or T-scores, T-tests, and stuff like that. 
um, that they use to make sure that your score is uh, pretty accurate. Um, now, osteopenia is defined as bone density between normal and osteoporosis. So it's, it describes those that are at risk of osteoporosis. Um, so, and, and so, yeah, I actually, I'm going to leave it at that, um, because I was going to go into how DEXA, those, the x-rays and perfectly accurate, but they definitely will get more advanced or have, or they may use an MRI and other tools to assess bone density status, um, but, uh, more reliably if, if the DEXA scan is, isn't as reliable, um, so yes, so let's talk about the prevalence of osteoporosis. So osteoporosis is largely preventable, but it's still a serious public health concern. It affects one in two women and one in five men older than 50 years old. Women are three times more likely to suffer from osteoporosis in the U.S., um, there are actually approximately 10 million women and men who have osteoporosis, 34 million who are at risk for developing osteoporosis, and more than 1.5 million osteoporotic fractures per year. Um, now, when you have fractures, this will result in loss of work or even employment, and you're going to be increased in hospitalization. So this is still a big problem because there's a lot of money being spent on people with osteoporosis in the healthcare field. Actually, it's estimated to be about $20 billion uh, in cost in the U.S. and $30 billion in Europe. Um, I threw some Europe in there. I know we got people over there uh, listening, which is awesome. So anyways, the most prevalent types of fractures will be the hip. You probably have heard that a lot. I have the spine and even the forearm, uh, especially when you fall and they're going to try to prevent their fall. You know, put your arms out to protect your, your fall. That's just a natural instinctual thing. And then that will have fractures there, even your wrist. So that is something that will, will happen as well. Um, and so you're going to have to be going through rehab, physical therapy, um, and everything before you can manage life on your own. Um, now, there's some surgical repair that can happen as well. And um, one additional information actually I'll throw in is that uh, 70%, or actually more than 70% of fractures or osteoporosis uh, porotic fractures occur in people older than 70, year old, 70 years old. Um, and unfortunately, more than 25% of older adults with an osteoporotic fracture die within five years. Um, so, what, let's, let's talk about the Risk, uh, risk factors of osteoporosis. Um, so there's still 
a lot to be learned about the causes of osteoporosis and everything, um, or the, the risk factors, how that actually comes into play. Um, you have modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors, which means exactly how it sounds. You have modifiable risk factors, which means if you modify your lifestyle, that can uh, change. And non-modifiable would be things genetically and, you know, or the fact that you're a male or female and there's really nothing you can do about that, unfortunately. Um, so let's, let's, let's go through a list of non-modifiable risk factors. So first one, female. And the reason is because the, the higher level of estrogen that women have will that higher level than normal will start the process of uh, bone degeneration. So the fact, unfortunately, just because you're, you know, female, that is something um, that's non-modifiable. And, well, yeah, uh, let's keep it at that. Aging, can't stop aging, unfortunately, not yet. Um, maybe technology would do it, who knows. Um, if you have family history of osteoporosis, and actually, your ethnicity, white or Asian ethnicity, have a higher risk factor of uh, osteoporosis. There's a lot of different um, diseases that actually affect ethnic different ethnicities more than others, which is pretty weird. But you know, we are a little different um, around the world, which is pretty cool. Um, what else? Uh, small body frame. If you're a smaller person and everything like that, you know, you're not tall or, or anything like that, then that won't help. Um, if um, you have previous fractures, that also is non-modifiable, you know, um, after you got the, the actual fracture, I mean. So let's talk about modifiable risk factors, things you can change that may help. So physical inactivity. If you just become more active, that risk factor can go away. Low calcium intake. Um, so if you have less than 500 to 850 milligrams per day, um, you need to have more calcium. That can be changed. Vitamin D deficiency. Uh, again, a supplementation or my favorite, just go outside and get some sun, um, and that can be taken care of. Uh, if you're a current smoker, that can be changed. Um, excessive alcohol consumption, excessive caffeine intake. Uh, we all drink a lot of coffee, at least here in the U.S. Excessive soda consumption, at least here in the U.S. I know that's a thing. Um, all those things, just just stop. <laughs> Easier said than done. Um, if you have a low body weight, if your BMI is less than 19, that's also a problem. Um, uh, what else do you have? Um, if you're anemic or no, not anemic. Um, if you, um, when you're a female athlete and you're taking some sort of drugs that will uh, try to increase your performance, that is sometimes has adverse effects. Um, that's that's what uh, that's what this one is. Uh, low testosterone in males, so they can have uh, testosterone treatment to help with that. Um, that'll also help with all those things. And an unstable or risky environment, so uneven floor, 
uh, unsecured carpet, low light, so you're going to be falling, um, so you have more risk for fractures. Uh, so that's something we're talking about. So we're not. We're also talking about uh, not just non-modifiable and modifiable risk factors for osteoporosis, but also fracture. All right. Um, this is what we'll mention here. So poor footwear. Um, you know, slippery kind of shoes. Um, if you have impaired vision, hearing, um, everything like that. If you have hypotension, which is low blood pressure, means you get up from somewhere and you get dizzy and you may fall. That's a, another problem that could that can happen there. So, um, so yeah, let's let's move on. So we have osteoporosis can be classified as either primary, primary or secondary. Can't talk today. Weird. <laughs> Big words. So so primary osteoporosis is age-related, the one that you think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind. Secondary osteoporosis is due to other factors like drug regimens for treating other diseases, and this can decrease bone, uh, bone mass at uh, any of the time. Um, you know, you might have um, an eating disorder. All right, so if you have an eating disorder, this can also, um, this can also, this is a secondary osteoporosis effect as well, because you're, you're, let's say you're um, bulimic or stuff like that or anorexic, this can um, not help with having sufficient calcium intake or vitamin D intake. Um, as well. So that's, that's another thing that can happen. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about this actually. So peak bone density or the highest bone density in your life is achieved in your twenties. Bone loss begins around the age of 25 to 30. That's me. Uh, great. And for, for men, there's a, there's a, a study that indicates that bone loss begins earlier in men, so 25 years old to 39, but women, it starts 40 to 44 years old, so they start later. However, once women begin to approach menopause and that stage of their lives, the uh, rate at which bone loss is happening accelerates in women and definitely surpasses the rate that men are going, and that will happen maybe 40, 50 52 years old, right there, around there. Um, so, yeah. Um, let's see, what else do I want to say before I move on? Um, I think that's, that's it that I want to say there. Yeah, okay. Oh, I wanted to talk about this. So, inactivity and bone health, right? So... If you're, if you stop exercising and it's bone stimulating exercise, um, because exercise does stimulate your bone to increase its thickness and strength and to, to be able to take the exercise that you're doing, it actually stimulates the bone to get stronger and more dense. And so if you stop exercising, of course, that's the rate of loss of bone density will start to happen. Um, now, One of the things research indicates that exercise um, induced bone gains 
right? Your bone is getting stronger because of exercise. It's um, very important and particularly beneficial when you're doing the, these kind of exercises when you're in childhood or adolescence. So if you're very active as a child and you're playing in the playground a lot, or if you do have kids, it's really good to get them from in front of the TV or on that tablet and get them to go outside and play and play sports or run around and everything like that because it, it, studies have shown that benefits um, benefits of being so active as a child will have huge benefits later in life because you'll have a huge reduced risk of developing osteoporosis later and even fractures. So it's really good to, um, it's good that we have this study now because it's um, extremely important if this is still a huge problem. As we said, there's a huge amount of money being spent taking care of these poor people that have osteoporosis. You definitely want to find ways to reduce future generations of, of having the same problems. And so if we can get our younger, the younger generation to be more active and everything, they don't have to go in the gym and lift weights and deadlift and bench press. If they go out and play, and just be a kid and you know with before technology <laughs> and be a kid and that time when like even me as a kid i'd go play basketball i'd go outside to go play baseball and everything like that um and it was just fun to me then this is a huge benefit later in life so that's really good now for older adults um you know training and exercising is still very important because it still can maintain bone mass or even minimize that bone loss with age so you can really slow down the effect of osteoporosis really well if you are going to do resistance training especially resistance training uh, as long as it's not too intense it's still beneficial um but it's extremely beneficial if you are practicing lots of an active lifestyle if you're a, a child or adolescence. Um, so nutritional support is obvious in this uh, in this sort of condition. So we're talking about adequate amount of calcium and vitamin D. Um, we um, there's even an entire chart which I'm not going to read to you because it's huge, but it's pretty much telling you the daily allowance of or daily requirements of calcium and vitamin D. Um, and everything like that. It's uh, there's there's tons. Um, now I do look at my demographic of who's listening to my podcast. So I'm going to actually tell um, the people that listen to this the age range here. Um, I'm actually going to just tell you guys that. So for calcium, for 14 to 18 years old, um, your daily Average requirement is 1,100 milligrams of calcium and um, 400 milligrams of vitamin D. All right, now 19 to 30, which is mostly my demographic right now, uh, we're talking about 800 milligrams a day of calcium and still 400 for vitamin D. In fact, that's... Um, that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much what, uh, I mean, 400 to 600, let's say that, 400 to 600 milligrams of vitamin D. Um, 
And let me actually amend that then and say this. For 14 to 18 years old, I said 1,100 milligrams of calcium or 1,300. Let's make that range. And for 19 to 30-year-olds, 800 to 1,000 milligrams a day of calcium. Let's make that range. Um, Now, actually, that 800 to 1,000 range is actually correct for older males for the calcium. And the 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams of calcium a day is for 51 to 70-year-old females. Um, that may be useful. You may be listening to this. Maybe you know somebody that is in that age range for calcium. So for, that's for that. Now for vitamin D, uh, still 400 to 600, even for uh, women, um, 51 to 70 year old. So five, 400 to 600 milligrams a day for vitamin D. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, or else I'm going to end up reading this entire chart. Uh, so I'll just... Hit on those three, so people that listen to this, and then the older people, if you know people in that age range, um, those are the recommendations for that. Uh, let's see what else. Um, I'm trying to think what else there is. Um, yeah, so exercising for for bone health, uh, obviously that you know physical physical activity prevents osteoporosis by increasing bone forming osteoblast cell activity so osteoblast they form bone osteoclast actually breaks down bone um, and there's an increased activity of osteoclast breaking down bone faster than osteoblast is forming the bone um, that's another factor that also plays into osteoporosis as well not just your home hormones of estrogen being so high for women. Um, but it will, I just want to touch on that because I said osteoblast and I have to mention osteoclast, um, with a C clast. So, um, so, so yeah, it actually, I wrote this in my notes, funny enough, um, read my notes. So yeah, physical activity prevents osteoporosis by increasing bone forming osteoblast cell activity and reducing the bone reabsorbing osteoclast activity so and for an overall bone growth effect or slowing of bone loss uh, bone ad- adapts positively to sufficient and appropriate appropriate levels of stress appropriate levels is a big thing there you don't want to go too crazy or else you're going to actually have risks that you're putting on yourself and you don't want to go um too light on your exercise or else you're not really even doing anything you're not stimulating your bone enough to have any sort of favorable adaptations um now one of the things i like to mention and we're going oh it's 35 minutes we've been doing this so bone adaptation to stressors or exercise is site and load specific so that means that only bone that's being stressed will adapt so that means if you're doing walking only, you're going to be only having benefits of the, the femur and the hip and, and all that, and tibia and fibula. Um, all of those bones will have that favorable adaptation, but your shoulder, your arms are not having any sort of uh, benefit. So this is a huge thing 
that I want to make a point about is that it is, uh, like I said, site and load specific. So it's good to rotate upper body, lower body for especially older adults. They shouldn't just walk and walk and walk and forget about the rest. Although hip is hip is one of the biggest common fracture sites for osteoporosis. It's um, still really good to rotate and everything, especially so that you don't have constant stress on a bone that may not be able to take it uh, for a long term. So it's good to kind of cycle through uh, on and off. Um, so other needs that patients may have is physical function um, and sometimes actually what's really good is exercises that improve balance and coordination to reduce, reduce the risk of falls in older adults because falls are pretty much the most common way of fracture for older adults. Um, so that's a really good way to, to have some sort of, um, increased coordination. So they're okay. They're, they're better and they can balance better. So, um, that's something that's, let me see what else. Um, I think that's, um, that's all I wanted to say. Um, yeah, so um, that's that's really it. I mean, there's other notes I have, but I think I'm going to be okay for this episode. I don't want to go for too long or too crazy. But um, thank you guys for sticking around. I'm definitely going to be uh, coming back with hopefully more frequent episodes. And like I said, nothing crazy happens in my life, but uh, we will see. <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys for listening and um, I will see you guys on the next one.